You're listening to Hotep-ish with your host, Dewan B. Intelligent-ish talk, intelligent shit talk, where we balance the profound with the profane. Political satire, celebrity and expert guests, information and entertainment, conversation and solutions. Leave your feelings at the door. to get into it i'm coming from the incense and ashtrays tip today because y'all know i got my new music show that i just debuted incense and ashtrays go ahead and check out the interviews with legendary blues guitarist bobby rush and future legend current dope guitarist and artist j-mo jaris mosey I got some other interviews coming up uh, that are scheduled. I told you I'm coming up real soon. I, I don't have a, a confirmed a date yet, but I do have an interview with uh, one of Michael Jackson's former background singers. There's a debate going on. What were they saying on Wanna Be Starting Something? What were they saying? Mama say, Mama Sa, Mama Sa, Tu Sa. 
or were they saying something else? We'll find out because we'll have the woman who was actually singing that on the Thriller album live in studio to talk in Cincinnati ashtrays. Roll up and listen. I had to come up with incense and ashtrays, man, because when it comes to the to our black music, the story's never told right. It's never told right. It's never told right. So I can't depend on white people to tell the story of black music right. So I created my own goddamn show so I can tell them the story right. Personal experience, personal stories, and also information directly from the artists. Incense and ashtrays coming at your ass. But we're here tonight because it was it was some holes, holes, holes. I'm going to make sure I say that right. And last night, y'all, I love, first of all, I want to say, start off by saying I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Earth and Fire and the Isley Brothers are two of my all-time favorite bands. Listen to them all the time. Through the day, anybody who follows me on Instagram knows how much I listen to Earth and Fire and the Isley Brothers. So I want to give some stories. Because uh, I knew members of both bands. And I want to give some perspective on the last night's show. And we also going to get into some of the music. Because Steve Harvey made the show. Let's just tell the truth. Steve Harvey made the show about himself last night. We didn't get to learn the bands as much as we wanted to uh, in last night's uh, show. So I'm 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 going a, I'm to a, I'm a fill in some holes. Uh, and, and talk about some things that was not talked about last night. What's up, Brimdog? Ohio in here. Jaren215. <laughs> yeah, what's up, y'all? What up, Midnight Green? What up, Derek Jones? Evan. Star in the building. What's up, some chick named Star? Salute to you, old head deuce. Evan. Bosa Queenie. Sky is Mona, man. I appreciate all y'all for being here. Kevin Bryant. I can't get through every name. because What's up, Poppin? Toya. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We about to we about to get it in because I want to, like I said, I want to start off by just talking about how much I love these bands, how much I love both. The Isley Brothers is somebody my you know that's my my dad. I remember growing up, my dad used to always talk about how in the seventies they knew just before the time the summer hit, the Isley Brothers was gonna drop an album, and how the Isley Brothers always found a way to be the songs of summer. Because they'd always drop their albums in the late spring. And it was funny too. I, I remember my dad telling me that like back in like 92. And that was around the same time. Like I remember Jodeci would do a similar thing. Jodeci would always. It seems like come and talk to me and all that all that stuff. Those was just like songs of summer. And I was like that's kind of what Jodeci do. And Pops was like yeah. And I remember uh, you know hearing about that. And then you know we got the. I remember, I didn't know who the Isley Brothers was. Y'all remember BT's Video Soul? I was probably like, well, I heard, I knew who they were. I heard them on the radio, but when Video Soul was the first time I had actually seen them. And I remember this dude with these thick ass eyebrows singing smooth than a motherfucker. Me and my sister be laughing like, who is this thick eyebrow motherfucker singing all these beautiful songs? Then my dad came in and saw us. He was like, oh, that's the Isley Brothers. And that's when my dad sat me down and really told me about the Isley Brothers, who they were, the history. So, some of the information that I'm going to be giving you, because my dad was out in the, he was out in the streets back in the 70s, so he knows a lot of stuff. 
Um, I'm be giving you information from that perspective. I'll be giving you information from my personal studies because as a drummer, just the, the same way I study history, I, I study music. But I've been studying music way longer than I've been studying history. Um, so when it comes to music history, my knowledge is very in-depth. I pull back, go back to when I was 10. I used to buy books from these artists and and read liner notes and study these artists going start back as a 10-year-old. Um, and as a drummer, I got to know people who played with these bands and people who played in these bands. Um, so that's where my perspective is going to be coming from. Same with Earth and the Fire. Uh, I personally knew a few people who wrote songs for them who actually played in Earth and the Fire. So I'll be pulling from stories that these people would tell me over the years about being with the Izzy Brothers and also being with Earth and the Fire. So we're going to be in for a ride right here. I thank y'all for listening. I thank y'all for tuning in. I appreciate all y'all. Um, so, yeah, that's... Oh, yeah, like this, like this video and share it also. Share the video, please. I didn't put my tags in the little... In my YouTube, so... A lot of people don't even know I'm online right now. So please, please, please share the video and listen in. And also subscribe to this show on Spotify. Because on Spotify, I have playlists. I have a, a, a my uh, Funk Soul playlist that will be debuting today. And I have my Soul Jazz playlist that will be debuting later on this week. Um, and also on my Spotify channel, I will be DJing mixes. Uh, I'm going to do my Sunday Night Quiet Storm mix where I'm going to play a lot of the good old stuff and reintroduce a lot of the classics to the people because it's a lot of music that happened in the 70s and 80s and 60s that we've forgotten about That's uh, that needs to always be around because it's music that feeds our soul. So subscribe to my Spotify uh, channel. The link is in the description box. I will be DJing uh, Sunday Night Quiet Storm Mixes. I'll be DJing Funk mix Breakdowns. And I'll also be bringing in a lot of today's artists because people always say, whatever happened to Funk? Whatever happened to Soul? Fucking Soul is still alive. It just don't get played on the radio. So there's a lot of artists that are out right now. Adrian Young, J-Mo, again, Anderson Pack. It's a lot of people who are still now preserving the Soul sound. And so my Soul Jazz Mix is going to have that uh, sound um, for people that want to know where to go. Um, no, I'm not quit. I'm not. I don't have it on Apple Music. The re and here's the reason why I don't have it on Apple Music. Spotify has just allowed us to do something to where we can actually play music. Apple doesn't let me play the music yet. When Apple lets me play the music, I will. I will upload instance and ashtrays on Apple. But right now, Spotify actually lets me play the songs. So when I when I do my exclusive Spotify stuff. And also Mixcloud also. When I do myself exclusive to Spotify and Mixcloud, I get to actually play the songs too. So that's why I'm only on Spotify for right now. When Apple changes its rules and allows me to play music on Apple, I'll upload this to Apple also. But yeah, Spotify is allowing me to DJ. And when I DJ the music, I'm going to give y'all breakdowns because I got so much of this shit in my head over the years. I'm, I'm, I'm coming up on 40. I, I, I literally have... 25 years I've been playing the drums for 25 years now and so I got stories personal stories and secondhand stories dating back 25 years that I could tell about 
specifically the that soul and funk era. Oh uh, yeah, star Robert Glasper. That's I don't, I don't know how I forgot Robert Glasper, Terrace Martin, Thundercat. These cats are keeping that 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 soul alive, right? And so yeah, I got a playlist that's gonna be featuring all them, and I'm also gonna intertwine in you know the soul Quarian sound with D'Angelo, Erica Badu, you know some st other stuff from the '90s. That's you know that was dope like Tony Braxton and stuff. All that's gonna be on my Soul Jazz station. So yeah, I want y'all to subscribe to that on Spotify. And you don't have to be a member of Spotify to listen. You can just, but you do have to be a member if you want to. When I DJ, if you want to hear the whole song, only members of Spotify can hear the whole song. But on my DJ mixes, even if you're not a member, they will play 30 seconds of every song that I play. So yeah, do I be doing that? We doing that. So yeah, let's 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 talk about um, last night's verses. Last night's verses was a beautiful event. Oh my god, it was beautiful, and I'm personally just proud and happy that I got to watch the verses with my dad. My dad turned me on to all that music, man. I'm so glad I got to watch it with my dad. He pops was in heaven for about three or four hours. While that was on. And so let's talk about. Let's talk about the Izzy Brothers. Um, the Izzy Brothers is a group that don't. That never has gotten a credit. And this is another reason why I don't take the Grammy serious. Do you know that the Izzy Brothers never won a Grammy? Yet. The Izzy Brothers. Ron Isley. Holds the distinction of the only group. To have a number one hit in five different decades. Starting with that song Shout in 1959. Shout. How many times, especially those of us who grew up in the 80s, you always heard that damn song Shout. Or every damn cleaning commercial. <laughs> every movie. You know you make me want to shout. 10,000 different white boys done remade it. But the Isley Brothers version is the first one. And they're the ones who wrote it. And then, in 1962, they followed that up with Twist and Shout. Now, they didn't write Twist and Shout. But Twist and Shout was the song that they made a hit. That the Beatles went ahead and remade. But it wasn't nearly as good. Do y'all know that they also had a hit with Motown? Yeah. This, but that, that's kind of show you how dope, on one hand, how just because you, just because you get told no somewhere or something doesn't work out, doesn't mean you're not great, doesn't mean that they're wrong. Sometimes things that is, just is. One of their biggest hits was This So Heart of Mine. And that was with Motel. In 1964. 66. This old heart of mine. Blah, 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 blah. That was my shit. But Motel had The Temptations, The Four Tops, The Supremes. Motown even had the spinners. 
two groups that was with Motown that it didn't work out, but they went on to be all-time greats with the Spinners and the Izzy Brothers. But when you listen to the Motown sound, the Izzy Brothers didn't necessarily need that machine. Because as they got into the 70s, when they when all of the cousins and everybody, Jasper and everyone got together, they produced, wrote, mixed, engineered, all that stuff in-house. The Izzy Brothers didn't need Holland Dozier Holland or Norman Whitfield for a hit. They wrote, produced their own stuff. And as you went through the 70s, every year, album after album, giving back in 71, 3 plus 3 in 73, live it up, the heat is on. Harvest for the world. We listen to the music, it's a message. That song, Harvest for the World, they're talking about, you know, there's all these things going on on the planet. You've seen all these rich people get richer. You're seeing the uh, the wealth gap explode. You're seeing the, the, the ghettos across America. You know, you but at the same time, it's abject poverty in some of these countries, including the ghettos of America. The people been sacrificing. So they ask, okay, y'all gotten y'all shit rich and wealthy. When is it going to be a harvest for the world? When is the rest of the world going to reap the harvest from the work that it's sown into the soil of this planet? So don't, don't give me this thing about an artist can't be conscious. Oh, no, they just having fun with their music. No, Ozzy Brothers are putting out number one hits. Asking when is the world going to get a piece of the pie that they helped create. So I don't want to hear this shit about an artist on. They they just got to watch their bag. No, that's the music industry, homie. What about Eduardo? What's up, William Terry? I'm all and I'm against the white paper report about how the government. I talk about this shit all the time. How the government took our music from us. We don't get into that. See, the Izzy Brothers, they made love music. Love music between in the, between the sheets and also love for the world. This is who we are, black people. See, back in the 70s, that funk soul sound, the record labels didn't too much, they didn't tamper with it. They just let the artists, they gave the artists a deadline as to when to release their albums. Okay, we need an album done by September 1st so we can put it, press it, and market it, and have it out by October 31st or whatever. Outside of that, the record labels during the 70s didn't get in the artist's way. They let the artists be artists. And through allowing the artists to be artists, we came up with this beautiful music, great lyrics, live bands. This before they started programming drum machines. This is before Pro Tools. 
See now in today's music, they could just uh, put together samples, different sample packs, and get it and get a song, which I have no issues with. Hell, I, I, as a drummer, I lay down my own sample packs. My shit, my shit's gonna be coming to market sometime in the next month. I just so slow working with these engineers on my sound. Like I've done laid down two different sample packs on the drums, live drums, but engineers move a little bit slow. But I ain't tripping. They got they got other shit to do. So I'm not I'm 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 not here to let me make something else clear. I'm not here to shit on what gets done today. And that's part of why I'm doing what I'm doing, because it was tough to listen to Steve Harvey all last night make last night's show about him. Some of the stuff that I'm giving you right now should have been discussed last night. But since Steve Harvey wanted to talk about a song coming out while he was in college that he didn't graduate from, we should have been hearing this kind of history. We should have been hearing these type stories. But we didn't because all we have to do is talk about Steve Harvey in Cleveland. You know? So, uh, for sure, Walter Johnson, your shirt came today. For sure, for sure. Glad you like it. <laughs> Gritty's from the 5150 side of the game. Shouts out to my nigga Corey Holcomb. Shouts out to the Craig Facts audience out here. But yeah, these uh, groups did a lot of great that did not get discussed last night because Steve Harvey wanted to make it about himself. So here in Cincinnati's Trace, Hotepish, we're here to talk about the real. So, the Isley Brothers made a lot of good music about love. Like, one of my favorite songs was on the Live It Up album, Brown Eyed Girl. They didn't play it during the verses, but they played it at, as the show ended. And you could have played either one of these artists another five hours, and you still would have had hits. They didn't even play my some of my favorite Earth and Fire songs or Isley Brothers songs. And they still played a lot of my favorite Earth and Fire songs and Isley Brothers songs. This is what happens when... They teach music in schools. See, the Isley Brothers and Earth and Fire came up in eras where music was taught in the school system. So you had a bunch of creatives that knew how to play their instruments and had been playing their instruments from childhood on. And you had a music industry that didn't get in the artist's way. The Izzy Brothers went on to make hits in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I was so glad. I was so glad the Izzy Brothers played, Ron Izzy played one of his songs with R. Kelly. I was so glad he did that. You know why I was so glad? Because let me tell you something. Contagious was a dope. That whole thing was some dope shit. And I'm not even an R. Kelly fan. Me personally, I never was a big R. Kelly fan. Partially because when his when 12 Play came out. Now, I love that song, Honey Love, a public announcement. And I like 12 Play. 
But then when Aaliyah dropped, I was like, man, I had a crush on Aaliyah when I was 13, 14 years old. And when I saw R. Kelly all up on her in the Age Ain't Nothing But a Number video, he reminded me of them old dirty ass niggas that be dropping a 14 year old girlfriend off at high school. And these niggas is 24, 25 driving a Ford Explorer. I couldn't stand because you know how it is when you, all the fellas, y'all, all, all the straight fellas, y'all feel me. You know how it was when you was 14, 15. Every chick you like at 14, 15, it seemed like was dating a grown ass man. So Kells was that grown ass man that was that was dating a chick that I had a crush on when I was 14. So I was like, man, fuck this nigga. <laughs> but I was in the minority. The majority of the world listened to R. Kelly. We saw what happened. I was 12. I was, look, in 1994, I was 13 years old. I understood as a 13-year-old that he was fucking that he was fucking Aaliyah. And I know you mother, let's tell the truth. All these people that acted fake disgusted when that Lifetime movie came out, y'all knew the same. Y'all just liked his music and didn't give a fuck. And if you didn't get it, and if you were a little slow and you didn't see it, we all saw him piss on that gal. We saw that. Contagious drop, motherfuckers didn't care. People didn't care about the whole R. Kelly thing until the white folks got involved and created a fucking movie. And then everyone went and acted fake disgusted. Oh, I can't believe, I can't believe, motherfucker, you've been knowing this shit since 94, 95. Let's not fuck around. So it... It's people being disingenuous is what I have an issue with. I remember when I was working security at a nightclub back in 2009. It was Club Facade on Ivar in between Sunset and Hollywood Boulevard. It was then later renamed the Ivar. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> on Ivar. Between Sunset and Hollywood Boulevard. R. Kelly came in one night. He was, you know, paid, promoted to come. And I had to guard the VIP where he was. I'll never forget having to be the only motherfucker at that door with literally hundreds of women trying to force their way through to get up to the VIP to see R. Kelly. I had this one chick, and this is funny because this is one of my first jokes I ever told on stage as a comedian when I first started doing stand-up comedy. It was a true fucking story, and I kind of twisted it into a joke, but it was a true story, and I really said this. One chick, when I'm sitting there, she started kind of unzipping my zipper. And I'm like, hold on. I'm like, stop. I don't, I don't want that. She's like, I want to see R. Kelly. I want to see him. I said, you know he pissed on the bitch, right? <laughs> you think she gave a fuck? He was like, I don't, she was like, I don't care. Why don't you let me in? I'll jack you off. I was like, look, lady, a hard dick and an empty wallet don't make much sense to me. 
If you want to see Kells, you're going to have to drop off some bread. I ain't trying to. Nah, I'm good. I'm good. And then a couple other chicks. They're very pretty. They came up and I let them up. They walked in. But I let them buy because they had the VIP wristband. And But plus they were pretty. They were pretty. But I let them buy because they had the wristband. The chick was like, how you going to let them up and not let me up? I said, well, look at them. Then look in the mirror and you tell me why they got up and your ass is still sitting here downstairs. Looking like Droopy Dog from Warner Brothers cartoons. That's how desperate these motherfuckers were to go see R. Kelly in 2009, eight years after he pissed on the bitch. 15 years after we all knew he smashed our uh, Aaliyah as a, as a minor and they were actually married. So that's the context of why I'm so happy Ron Isley played a hit contagious with R. Kelly because R. Kelly revitalized his career and I'm so glad Ron Isley didn't bow to peer pressure and listen to these new fake ass feminists that's acting like they hate R. Kelly who was still bumping his shit and I get it, it was some women it was some that stopped most women still listen and salute to the women out there who still listen to this day who knew what it was and was like hey I like what I like because no one ever does this for Ted Nugent hell Courtney Cox on not Courtney Cox Courtney Love on the on the Howard Stern show came out and said that she had sexual relations with Ted Nugent as a, as a 13 year old Ted Nugent ass still be on Fox News talking all that Puritan shit too. Don't Elvis, Jerry D. Lewis, Bryant. Look, if you watch anything Bryant, look at Hollywood. All that pedophilia in Hollywood, all that shit. Motherfuckers still watch the news. Motherfuckers still watch TV. You still watch NBC, even though we saw NBC was run by goddamn deviants. NBC Universal, Fox. But when you get to R. Kelly, all of a sudden people want to be moral. Fuck that. My thing is this. Either we going to be moral with everybody or we going to be moral with nobody. We ain't going to pick and choose and then when it's a black man, all of a sudden people get on their high horse. Oh God, no. Why? Why did he have to do that? Why do you have to play contagious? We just need to forget our Kelly. And I'm speaking, I don't even like R. Kelly's music. I'm just dead honest. I like Step in the Name of Love. I like Happy People. But I couldn't stand Ignition. I didn't like that shit. Fuck that song. But I come from the point of view of everybody going to get it or nobody going to get it. When you want to pick and choose, I don't take you serious. Period. Point blank. I'm a 100 ass. When I say 100, I mean 100. 
I don't have to agree with you as a person to still understand and appreciate or not appreciate someone's art. The art and the artist are separate. And being a musician and being someone who knows a lot that I'll never tell about music. It's a lot I'll never tell. I'll, I'll never tell 80% of what I know about what goes on in music. I promise you I'll never tell. Because if we're going to start being moral and conflate that with music, you niggas, I guarantee, will have like 10 songs that you can hear the rest of your life if we're going to go, if, if we gonna take it there. It's a bunch of fucking freaks and degenerates in music and movies and entertainment, period. Entertainment is run by freaks and degenerates. If the artist that's singing the song ain't a, ain't a degenerate, the sound engineer was. Or the record executive that released it was. Or the A&R person. It's somebody in that chain that made that was a part of making that song a hit. A fucking foul degenerate in music. So we ain't about to go there. So I, I always want to salute Ron Isley. For not turning his back on someone who helped his career because a whole bunch of fake ass feminists want to come around and act moral all of a sudden, but then not say shit about Woody Allen. That's where I am with it. That's where I am with it. I don't have to like R. Kelly's music. I'm more of a Maxwell guy. I'm more of a music soul child guy when it comes to this era. I'm more of a Charlie Wilson guy. Marvin Gaye, Al Green, Teddy Pendergrass. That's more of my style. I even fucked with Keith Sweat way before I fucked with R. Kelly. I love Keith Sweat. You see my playlist. My playlist is going to reflect what I listen to. You won't see much R. Kelly in my playlist, if any at all. Not because of what R. Kelly did. Because I truly don't really fuck with his music like that. But I ain't about to sit here and get on no fucking moral high horse. Especially when I saw the same people mad at him. Saw, the, saw exactly what was going on in 1997. And didn't give a shit. 2007. Until a white boy say something. Get the fuck out of my face. But I digress. Back to the Isley Brothers and Earth, Wind, and Fire. Back to the Isley Brothers and Earth, and Fire. Earth and Fire. Is probably my favorite group of all time. I don't like to rank, but I always have. If if, if I was gonna say I, the the groups that I listen to the most is always a toss up between Earth and Fire and Parliament Funkadelic. I always, I mean, when I I can't tell you how much. Earth and Fire means to me. When I was teaching myself how to play the drums, I played 
Earth and the Fire probably more than anybody, them in Parliament. And I was fortunate with um, Earth and the Fire because the music director at my church at the time, Mark Scarborough, salute to Mark Scarborough. That man meant a lot to me, musically. His father was Skip Scarborough. And Skip Scarborough wrote a lot of hits for Earth and the Fire. And the whole Earth and the Fire camp. Because Earth and the Fire camp was Earth and the Fire, The Emotions, and Denise Williams. So I got to hear some stories through Mark. A lot of stories about Earth and the Fire. And I remember... You know, Skip Scarborough wrote Can't Hide Love. He wrote Giving You the Best That I Got by Anita Baker. He wrote um, Don't Ask by My Neighbors by The Emotions. And a lot of other good stuff. And he talked about, I remember he said, well, I heard from some mark when he wrote, uh, Ken Hyde Love. He actually wrote that for Creative Source in 1973. Earth and the Fire just remixed it and redid it in 1976. And he wrote that song pretty fast. Earth and the Fire heard it, redid it, and you have what you have right there. He also wrote Love Music by Earth and the Fire. I like love the music. It's my kind of music. Hey. Man. Earth and the Fire was so dope. Maurice White doesn't get credit. First of all, let's, let's go into talking about the Earth and the Fire, who they were. Maurice White at the top. You see Verdine White, his younger brother. Philip Bailey, lead singing. And the nucleus of Earth and the Fire was Larry Dunn on keyboards, Al McKay on guitar, um, Charles Stepney wrote a lot of the arrangements, horn arrangements, and also Tom Tom Ford. Charles Stepney died in 1976 during the making of the Spirit album. And so they went back to their original horn arranger, uh, Tom Tom Ford, who also arranged horns for Michael Jackson on Off the Wall and Thriller. Those horn arrangements that you hear on here on Thriller, that's Tom Tom Ford. He's also the horn arrangements that you hear on um, Fantasy by Earth and the Fire. They wrote music. Maurice White, People don't, a lot of people don't know this, but he went back. The reason why they had so much African imagery and spiritual spirituality stuff on their stuff, uh, on their album covers, is because Maurice White, when he put the band together, he started out as a drummer for Ramsey Lewis. And when he left Ramsey Lewis to start his own project, he knew what he wanted in Earth and Fire, but it took a few albums to get the sound right. Um, 
on their original rendition, when you listen to them, they had like they did mention this a little bit last night in the in the verses. They had a woman in the group, but that wasn't quite the sound that they wanted. And on tour, they found out about this guy in Denver named Phil, that lived in Denver named Philip Bailey. Philip Bailey auditioned for the band, and it was all over from there. He made sure when he went there to Kemet to really get into the sound of ancient Kemet and what they were into spiritually. And he also went to Spain to study some of the Moorish history also. That's why Earth and Fire has a sound that can't be duplicated. You don't really hear too many Earth and Fire samples because they were coming from a place that you can't really put them in any box of any genre. While at the same time, they were trying to remind us who we were as a people. Like here on the Rays album, in the middle, you see how they have that light and the, the seven chakras and where the chakras are in the body connecting to the light above. That was Maurice White trying to tell us something. Look over here. This is the cover of the All in All album. You see how they have the temples and the pyramid letting you know who we are and where we come from and where this music comes from. They were always telling us. Earth and the Fire had a song, one of the songs that they played last night called Getaway. Getaway is a song about transcendental meditation. Because that's what they were into. They were into transcendental meditation and magic. I, I used to play the drums um, with this one of the former Earth and the Fire band members. His name was Romney Davis. He played the trumpet for Earth and the Fire. And I used to sit back when I was a teenager and ask him all kinds of questions about Earth and the Fire. And he told me how they used to tour. They had... They used to tour with two 18-wheelers because Earth, Wind, and Fire would have a um, a magic show along with the music. David Copperfield. Y'all know David Copperfield. He used to have his own show in Vegas. They hired David Copperfield to produce magic tricks for them to use on the road. So they would have drum solos with the drummer literally spinning upside down. They would levitate on stage. Yeah, levitate. All illusionary stuff. They were doing some like next level out there shit. And these are kind of stories that I wish they got into last night on the verses. But we couldn't get into it because Steve Harvey wanted to talk about his high school experience. As if we ain't heard all these goddamn stories 10 times from Sunday, Steve Harvey. Another beautiful thing that I loved about last night's versus is it was no competition. It was a celebration. 
Magnetic, I know people have sampled Earth and Fire. Yes, I know that. When I, okay, let me break it down for the people, for, for the slow people in the back. When I say it's tough to sample Earth and Fire, you don't see Earth and Fire samples? Because you have very, 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 very few hits with Earth and Fire samples. You got some songs that people listen to for a short time, but you ain't got no classics to Earth and Fire samples like that. Because you couldn't do it. Conversely, when we're talking about the Izzy Brothers, in between the sheets was successfully sampled into another hit by Biggie Smalls. I mean, classic hits. Izzy Brothers have a lot of music that was successfully sampled and repurposed into new classics because their music was more straight ahead. You've never heard of a successful sample of fantasy. That's the way of the world. Raheem Devon tried it. Faces. Serpentine Fire. Mighty Mighty. No, you don't see samples of that. It's too abstract to fit into a boxed-in sound that we have post-1980s. Too far out there. You're not going to remake Bejo. You can't do it. Can't do it. Maurice White was on some other shit. But they were telling us who we are, where we come from. That's what I love and appreciate about Earthman and Fire. And I wish we could have got more of these stories last night. Because they have some dope, dope, dope ass stories. But we can't get to those stories if we're talking about one man's high school career all goddamn day. Which is again why I started my show, Incense and Ashtrays. We're going to tell the story of music, but we're going to tell this shit right. It ain't about me. It's not about ego. It's about celebrating greatness. Because black people, we have so much greatness. We have so much greatness. And one thing I, I like about this Versus series, from when they had on Gladys Knight and Patti LaBelle to, Earth, to Erica Badu and Jill Scott... One thing I, I love about us as a people, we've been celebrating this past year during this corona epi- uh, pandemic. We've been celebrating our legends. And I think that's something that we've lost sight of because everyone wants to rank their top five. Everyone wants to talk about who's killing who. They want to say, which one, what, do I listen to this person or that person? Without understanding that we can have it all. We can have it all because we have it all. We created it all. Why can't we have it all if we created it all? Why do we have to choose Earthman and Fire or Izzy Brothers? How about this? 
Usually when it's sunny outside and here in LA, 80 degrees, I'm turning on Earth in a Fire. That song running. That shit, man. The Gratitude album. When it's sunny outside, I'm playing some Earth and Fire because it just feels good. They music feels like summer. Usually when it's nighttime or dark or just I'm in a, I'm in a relaxed mood, I'm playing the Izzy Brothers. To me, there's no more. There's there's not a more beautiful song ever written than Voyage to Atlantis. And when you talk about perfection, does a song get any more perfect than Make Me Say It Again, Girl? Especially when you get, because I love the way that song crescendos. It starts off real slow. I mean, real soft, real real mellow. And as the song goes, it, it just crescendos slightly, like an airplane taking off. Slight crescendo. It builds. Until they get to the vamp. Girl, you're all I need. Excuse my singing, but I'm feeling it. Girl, you're all I need. Say it. Say it. Say it. Nigga. Who else can vamp, girl, you all I need? For three and a half minutes. And that don't seem like they vamped it long enough. They could have sung that hook for another 10 minutes. And I would have been all up in it. Modulating up and down. Girl, you're all I need. Girl, you're all I need. Go up. Girl, you're all I need. Man, shit. They really took time. Like with the Izzy Brothers, they took time to make you feel the music. Don't say good night. As a drummer, do you know how hard it is to play that one two? It sounds to me that like that that song is around. I didn't look it up, but it's in that sixty BPM range. Do you know how hard it is as a drummer to keep that groove going for like six minutes and not speed the song up? And as a musician, period. A song like Don't Say Goodnight. Do you know how hard it is to play that and not do too much? To have all that space but still stay in pocket. I mean, as a musician, you you listen to what the Izzy Brothers was doing and, not, and Hello, It's Me. This motherfucker Ron Izzy spent the first 10 minutes of that song. Hello, hello, hello. Music that had a chance to breathe. Music had a breath to it. It had a life to it. When you listen to Earth and Fire, Can't Hide Love. Can't Hide Love. Who else can go, can, can sing, ah, ah, ah. Who else can do that? For like 10, 15, 30 minutes. Doom, 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 doom. Man. It's music that breathes. 
man. You don't have to choose. How about you listen to Earth and Fire song now, play an Ozzy Brothers song next, then play a Brothers Johnson song after that, then play a Minnie Ripperton song after that, and then mix that shit in with some Gap Band and Rick James and Rufus and Shaka Khan. You got time for it all, goddammit. Anybody got no goddamn time to be picking and choosing? Which one do I like? I like them all. I do want to say rest in peace to Don Myrick. Don Myrick is someone, and I tweeted this, uh, and I put it on my Facebook earlier for those of you who don't know. Don Myrick played the uh, saxophone for Earth and the Fire. That was him when you listen to the live version of Reasons when Philip Bailey had that sing-off against the saxophone player. That's Don Myrick. That's also Don Myrick playing the saxophone on the live version of One More Night by Phil Collins. Don Myrick in 1993 here in L.A. over in Santa Monica. They did a no-knock raid on his house. He had this true story. He had a blue lighter in his hand. The police mistook the lighter for a gun, shot and killed him. White supremacy don't give a fuck if you play the saxophone and you add it and made to America's music art form. They don't care if you... This goes out to the people that always say, pull your pants up and all that bullshit clicheism. White supremacy don't give what the fuck you do. They'll It'll still do what it wants to you. That's why my message is always live. Live for today. Save for tomorrow, but live for today, man. Don't run around in fear. Don't run around scared. Don't run around angry either but live for today and be yourself because nothing that you know it's not it's nothing that fear is going to stop fear is not going to stop anything pulling your pants up doing all these clichésms. you don't need all that stress in your life live for yourself live for today Rest in peace, Don Myrick. But also, another thing that happens that people didn't know was that when Earth and Fire broke up in 1983 after the Let's Groove album, they, and part of the reason why they broke up was because in the late 70s, early 90s, I mean, not early, early 80s, late 70s. I told y'all about this before. People who are faithful listeners know about the White Paper Report. I did a full broadcast on this about two years ago. The White Paper Report is a report that basically separated top black artists from top black producers. And what they did was they didn't renew the contract for the emotions they kind of took Denise Williams away from Maurice White and they kind of put Maurice White onto Barbara Streisand. Like all those Barbara Streisand hits, it's Maurice White. 
Smurfs White. They paid him a lot of money to then start working with a lot of white artists because that's what the white paper reports did in the 1980s. Separate the top producers from the top black acts. So Earth and Fire, for a short while, fell under this. So the band members from Earth and Fire went all to tour with Phil Collins. And I remember learning this from Romley when I used to play the drums with him. He said, yeah, in the 80s, Don Myrick, Larry Dunn, <clears throat> the nucleus of Earth and the Fire was the nucleus of Phil Collins during his run on top. So when you listen to all that in the air tonight and all that stuff, you listen to Earth and the Fire with a white boy singing up front. And no disrespect to Phil Collins, I love Phil Collins' music. I fucks with Phil Collins. I fucks with Phil Collins heavy. Yeah, but when you hear that hon- that song, give me just one more night, cause I can't wait forever. That's Don Myrick on the saxophone. It's Don Myrick. Rest in peace to Don Myrick. <clears throat> but yeah, Earth and Fire, I remember they... They were they had their their songs were really about there's a lot of spiritual awakening in their music. When you listen to the song Mighty Mighty, we are people of the mighty, mighty people of the sun. In our hearts lie the answers to the truth you can't run from. We are people of the mighty. Mighty people of the sun. What are they telling you? Maurice White telling you, you the people of the sun. And in your heart lies the answers to the truth you cannot run from. Ain't that life like a motherfucker? People be trying to lie to themselves. People be trying to run for themselves. But you cannot run from your heart. You got to turn around and face your heart. Embrace your heart. Because that's where the truth lies. And the answers lie. To the things inside of you. Listen to the messages and the music. Listen to the messages. Serpentine Fire was a little deeper of a song. That song's about the awakening of the Kundalini. But I had to get on my metaphysics talk to really get deep into that song. Earth and the Fire has another song called Take It to the Sky. Didn't play this last night, but it's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite songs. Take It to the Sky, Learn the Reasons Why. Meaning, sometimes you got to let shit go. Let it go into the sky. And when you let it go, you'll learn the reason why. And once you do that, then your heart can fly. See, it's not just the musicianship, it's the messages. 
And these are the messages. And that's why the government had to come in and suppress black music. Because we was getting our freedom papers through song. Go back and listen to that era. And again, that's why I want you to subscribe to my show, Incense and Ashtrays, on Spotify. Because we're going to be playing some of these songs. We're going to be playing some of these songs and breaking them down. Chat room, chat room, please. If there's any Earth and Fire or Izzy Brothers uh, slander, you can go ahead and put that person on timeout. And if they come back talking again, ban them. Because we will not take slander of these gods of music in this chat room. This is a place of love. This is a place of information. Not a place to slander groups giving us the keys to life. You dig? I remember a story Maurice White said about why they ended up hiring David Copperfield and why the Earth and the Fire show was so great and magnanimous. He said that they had a show in Washington, D.C. in 1974. And Earth and Fire was opening up for Funkadelic. Pardon me, Funkadelic. And he said that they did their show, and the show was good. The show was good. But after they got off, he said, when it was Funkadelic's time to come on, all he heard was, foot pedal and a clap. And that's all it took for the audience to forget Earth and the Fire was ever on stage. Now it's time to listen to the funk. And he said, watching Parliament Funkadelic clean their clock that night in 1974 in Washington, D.C. is what influenced them to revamp the whole show. And everything the fire puts on the show, I've seen them live about 15 times. Maybe more than that. They don't do the magic tricks anymore, but they still sound good. They did a show. I, I saw them twice. at the Every couple of years, they come back to the Hollywood Bowl. And they do a show with the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra. 72-piece orchestra in Earth and Fire. Some of the most beautiful shit you ever want to see in your life. Incense and Ashtrays is spelled the way it's spelled over here on the bottom right of the screen. The letter N, not and. And also, I have the link. In the description bar on my link tree, in my in the description bar of the chat, you'll see a link tree. And on that link tree, it has the Spotify um, 
were to subscribe on Spotify. Cause we'll be getting way deeper into a lot of this stuff on that on that. Incense in ashtrays. Roll up and listen. Yeah. So make sure to do that. Because Incense and Ashtrays is a celebration of our music. I don't even want the Dominant Society celebrating our music. Because the Dominant Society, when they whenever they mention us, they always want to mention the drugs, how many divorces somebody had, whatever went wrong in their life, along with the music. I don't give a fuck about what went wrong in people's lives. We talking about the music. And we'll mention certain things that may that may have had you know, an impact on the music, but we're not going to focus on the drugs. We're not going to focus on all, none of that stuff. We're going to focus on the music. Hey, another story. Um, do y'all remember that group, JS? They were produced by R. Kelly. Y'all remember them? J.S. the Johnson sisters. I want to first start off by saluting the Johnson sisters. I personally think they are hella dope. And when it came to music, they got a raw deal. They got a raw deal. Because they were some great, they were two beautiful, beautiful sisters with great voices. Well, really it's three of them. It's three of them. It's three. But when it came down to the group, they only had uh, two in the group JS. Do you know that two of these three sisters married two of the greatest singers of all time? One sister married Ronald Isley the other one married Philip Bailey from Earth and the Fire. I thought that was some legendary shit, if you ask me. The one that married Philip Bailey, I don't think they're married anymore. I'm not sure. I don't think they're married anymore. But the one that married Ron Isley, they still together. I thought these sisters got a raw deal because when they came out with that song, Ice Cream, whatever that song that was, they came out. They were see in the early two thousands was that whisper era. That's when every singer was whisper singing. They even had Mariah Carey with her strong voice whisper singing. That was it. I hated that fucking era because these sisters can blow. They can sing their ass off. They can sing their ass off. And the only reason why I know is because I used to actually, um, they grew up, we all grew up in church together. They went to a, we went to the same organization of churches. And I remember every year at youth camp, when we was kids, the Johnson sisters would sing for us at youth camp. Like, I, I remember youth camp 1995, the Johnson sisters was there and so was Jamal Crawford. 
legendary basketball player out of Seattle. He lived in L.A. for a while, went to Dorsey High School. We were all at camp together. Jamal, Jamal, we all went. We all went to the same church. And then their dad ended up opening up his own association, Zoe Church, out in Moreno Valley. And so I used to always get updates on them from their from their brother and also family members. They, were, but them girls, I remember going back to the '80s. They could sing. They motherfucking ass off so yeah the industry screwed them over but at least they won at the end of the day salute to the Johnson sisters JS salute to them salute to them So, yeah, more music history from Dewan B. in Cincinnati Strays. Well, now I want to circle in and talk a little bit about Steve Harvey. Because Steve Harvey made last night's beautiful verses about him. About his goofball ass. And what I didn't like was not only was he making it about him, he spent too much time shitting on the young generation in their music. Let me speak to the adults here. We're all adults here in the building. Let me speak to those of us over 30. Can we please be the first generation that don't shit on the kids music in order to big up ours or in order to big up another area another era because we all see what's going on in the music industry today we know the music industry ain't shit but it ain't the kids fault the kids only listen to what the adults create an environment for to be played We don't have to down the young generation to big up what we like. When you listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire and the Izzy Brothers, that music stands on its own. You don't need to diss anyone else to up their music because their music is great in and of itself if you don't know how to show the next generation what's right then shut the fuck up they only understand from their perspective People like Steve Harvey is the reason why hip-hop had to go off and protect itself. Go back and listen to my broadcast last week with Brother Kabahia Wathakamane. Great historian, lecturer, professor. 
I talked about in that show why hip-hop, why it's now time to remarry and and reconnect hip-hop to the greater black music family. Time to connect hip-hop with jazz, the blues, the funk, R&B and soul. Because hip-hop is a child of all of that. The reason why hip-hop distinguished itself different from everything else because I was a child back in the 80s. During the 80s, all you heard was Steve Harvey, his generation, not him himself because he was a nobody back then, but all you heard was his generation talking shit about hip-hop. I can't listen to all that. Hippity hippity hop hip hip hip. hip. What are they saying? I don't I don't know the words. See, back in my day, we had real musicians with real music, and y'all don't know what y'all doing. And our music was better. And hip hop is just bad. I don't understand all this gangster stuff. I don't get it. And, and that's the bullshit he was on last night. Steve Harvey was basically remixing his Kings of Comedy set from over twenty fucking years ago. Steve Harvey, if we if we saw the Kings of Comedy, we saw everything you had to say last night, nigga. And I used to kind of be a Steve Harvey fan because when he first started his morning show, the Steve Harvey morning show started in Los Angeles, California, before it got syndicated. 92.3 was switched in 100 point, what is it, 100 point? Three, the beat. It was 100.3 the beat. Steve Harvey was here in LA first on a hip hop station. And all he did was shit on hip hop. And at the time, I did agree with a lot of it because I, I never, I'm not a big fan, especially the early 2000s hip hop. When you're talking about that whole Nelly, um, PD Pablo era, uh, Hot Boys, uh, Bling Bling era, that to me, that 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 era hip hop was very cheesy. Very cheesy. Hip hop had gone commercial by the year 2000. So there are certain things that I did agree with him on. But he said this shit all the goddamn time. And he'd be like, Steve Harvey, calm down. He was the face. The reason why he was so popular amongst the baby boomer generation is because he reflected what they thought about the music. And he ended up becoming the number one show in L.A. before leaving. And then going national, getting nationally syndicated. But he said to tell them same stories all the time about how... My music was this good, and my music was that. Nigga, can you even play an instrument, Steve Harvey, is the question. We can talk about the eras of music that we like without shitting on the new era. Because the same fight happened when Bebop came in from Swing. People who love Swing, when Charlie Parker... Dizzy Gillespie brought in that bebop from Kansas City. 
They Kansas City was from uh Kansas City. Bebop was formulated in Kansas City, Missouri, and then exported to New York. And when it got to New York, all you heard was what's all this bebop hippity hop? It was just something new. Same thing happened when Louis Armstrong came in with his improvisational jazz. People who were into ragtime, the Scott Joplin sound, straight ahead, no improvisation. The solos were all written out. They called what Louis Armstrong was doing with them high-pitched solos jungle music. And that's actually where the song, where the term jazz comes from. It was like, what's that jungle music you playing over there that? Boopity beepity bop. Music's supposed to sound like this. That's how Steve Harvey sounded last night. And it took away from the event. Because when you have artists as great as Earth and Fire and the Ozzy Brothers, there's no need to talk bad about anybody else. The difference in quality of music speaks for itself. And on top of that, we have to have compassion for the for the youth. I talked to you about the white paper reports of 1978. What about when all the music heads got together in 1993 and decided to take over hip-hop? They started putting all that money behind hip-hop, which produced that early 2000s fuckboy era of hip-hop that we're now still having to deal with today with cats like Takashi 6ix9ine being somewhat relevant and some of the shit that we hear on the radio today. Understand this little Nas X bullshit. Understand what happens on the radio, what happens in pop nowadays, that's not even hip-hop's decision. Hip-hop stopped being able to make decisions on who was hot and who was not back in 1996 when Bill Clinton signed that Telecommunications Act. Because before Bill Clinton signed that Telecommunications Act, you had local radio stations that could break local artists. And the streets told the world what was hot and what was not. After he signed that 1996 Telecommunications Act, that allowed... Because again, we always go back to the white supremacists. We always go back to their the hands that they have to play. What happens in music, what's happening in music, just like what's happened to black society, a lot of that shit was happened right under, under our noses by the officials, alphabet agencies. I ain't going to say no names because I don't want to get flagged, but y'all know the fuck I'm talking about. What's, what's understood doesn't need to be said. But the music was infiltrated by them folks. And when that Telecommunications Act of 1996 was assigned, Sinclair Media, Clear Channel, these stations were then able to buy up all the local stations and bring in those big advertisement dollars and then they got to decide who became hot and who was not because you no longer had local hip-hop stations that could break artists like they did before 1996. So understand what we're talking about what's getting played on the radio today was this Cardi B stuff. This isn't hip-hop deciding the moves. This is the corporate world. We listen to corporate hip-hop. Everything post-2000 that gets major play 
That's corporate music. That's not us deciding. So you can't shit on the kids and what they're listening to and what's out because half the time what the kids are listening to ain't even getting played on the radio. These motherfuckers got their they they Spotify, their iPods, and they got their music in their ear because they don't want to hear shit their parents got to say. <laughs> Most of the kids, I don't know, none, no kid that I work with that actually listens to Cardi B. None. I don't know, no kid that I work with that actually listens to Little Nas X. That's corporate bullshit imposed on black people. That's not the kid's fault. And on top of that, it's best, my, my advice to black people in general is to get into and understand what the kids are listening to and what they're doing because that's the future. Instead of shitting on it, get into what they into and invest in it. Do y'all know Roblox went public a couple weeks ago? That game Roblox? That's where the shit's headed. Instead of getting your kids spending all, all your time talking shit about them being in an iPad too much, find out what they're on on their iPad and go put some dollars behind that on the market. Because I remember when I was a kid, they told us, you, you're not going to have a future playing all them video games. And put some hard bottom shoes on. You can't be wearing those Jordans. Don't nobody in, you ain't going to get a job wearing those Jordans. The adults telling us to sit the video games down and stop wearing Jordans and take those Raider jackets off. What if instead they invested in Nike when them Jordans came out back when Nike was only $16 a fucking share? What if what if that generation did that? Instead of doing the Steve Harvey bullshit, trying to pull us off of it. I'm a millennial, a first first year millennial. Millennials, anyone born after 1980. I'm born in 1981. I'm a millennial. I'm that early class online. Like, when chat rooms first started, like Yahoo Chat, AOL Chat, I was there as a 16-year-old. And I remember being 16, all the grown people saying, <clears throat> you need to get out those chat rooms. There ain't no future in that. You need to get out into the real world. And I would be in the real world, but I would also be in the chat rooms. Back in the days, you could say anything you wanted online and, and not get no fucking screenshot and get kicked off. <laughs> we used to be in the chat rooms clowning. I remember 1996, Apple was $6.82 a share. And I remember telling some grown folks that I knew then, invest in Apple. Why did I say invest in Apple? Because as a 16-year-old, I was on Apple. And I knew that Apple had a far superior product than what was going on with Windows 95, but Windows 95 had a superior marketing campaign. And I also had read in the paper that Apple had this new thing coming out called, called an iPod. And the iPod is going to be out in two years, 1998, 1999. What were the adults saying? You ain't no future. Get your heads out that music and go ahead and go to college and get an education. We were being told, go to college and get an education. Stop wearing Jordans. Get out the computer. You spend too much time in the chat room. Instead of the adults, when these things went public, putting money behind it. What if you put money behind Apple in 1996 when it was $6.82 a fucking share? Instead of telling kids to get out of chat rooms 
What if you put your money behind it? Hmm. See, when the kids are into something, you don't shit in it. You don't shit on it. You find out more about it. You get to know more of it. Because right now we live in a world where NFTs are getting popular and blockchain technology is getting popular. And they're looking to start because the Internet is getting so censored now. A lot of stuff is moving to blockchain. Non-fungible tokens. Games, music. A lot of that stuff is going on the blockchain right now. And there's a whole world being created right now on the blockchain. And it's being led by the children. If you get in to what the kids are on to and you learn and understand blockchain technology, you might be able to put your money somewhere that's going to make you a fucking millionaire in five years if you stop shitting on the kids and listen to the kids. You dig? I'm not telling you this as a financial advisor. I am not a financial advisor at all. I'm just... An armchair historian. I'm an armchair historian. I see things that happened in the past. And when you understand the past, the future is very clear. We have a fundamental understanding of the past. And in the past, like always, what our children are into is where the things are going. Especially if you have a black child in the house. That's where it's headed. What your 16-year-old black boy is into, that's where it's going. We don't want to be Steve Harvey. We don't want to miss an opportunity to get a good, solid history lesson because we are caught up in our own ego. We don't want to miss an opportunity to get some good information because we stuck on what we did when we was kids back in 76, back in 86, back in 96. We had our childhood. We had that. Let the kids have theirs. Because I'm going to tell you something. All my years working with kids, I've never had to shit on that music to get them all to fall in love with music from the 70s. I got kids now who are in their 20s who I turned them on to earth... Earth and the Fire and the Isaac Brothers when they were 10. I'd have to say Soldier Boy ain't shit in 2010. All I had to do was introduce them to Marvin Gaye, to Al Green, to the Spinners, to Denise Williams, Cameo, Confunction, Karen White, Tina Marie, Rick James. I didn't have to shit on the yin-yang twins to show them earth and fire. You dig? Our kids are gold mines. And we as black people We got to start embracing them again. One thing white supremacy and slavery has done to the condition of the black mind is we're the only group that throws our children under the bus.
And if this message doesn't apply to you, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking as a whole. Talking as a whole. If you take it personal, look in the mirror. You dig? Because no one else is taking it personal. If you're the one person taking what I'm saying personal, then you got some mirror work to do. Steve Harvey last night made it about himself and not the music. We got to stop that. We're the only group that sells out our young the way we do on the level that we do. We saw it happen this past election. Every, you know, look at the look at what the older generation did. They said, I don't give a damn that Joe Biden signed that crime bill. I'm afraid of Trump. So they put someone in office that has a 40-year record a stomp down hardcore white supremacy on black society. They never stop to think, okay, if I put this man in office again, how is that going to affect black children for the next 40 years? We've seen what this man's done the last 40. If we give him keys to the office, what laws and legislation is he going to sign that's going to affect them the next 40? And as a society, we failed that test. I say we, even though I did not vote for uh, either one, I didn't vote for either one. But as a society, and we see right now what's happening with Biden, he's signing all these laws, these Asian discrimination laws. And guess who these Asian anti-Asian discrimination laws are going to affect? They're not going to put these statues on white people who harm Asians. They're going to put it on the black ones. Like that shooting that happened a couple weeks ago in Compton. That chick was black, but since she had a Filipino father or Asian father, she's classified as black. But whoever gets caught for whatever that happened, unfortunately, they're going to get those anti-Asian statues put on top of them. The older generation didn't think. They were so afraid of Trump. They put someone in who's going to, who's already actively signing laws it's going to affect black children for the next 40 years. We got to stop that. You're right, Bud Sheldon. Sold the river, sold our children down the river. I use everything that happens in life as a canvas for a greater story. And this is the greatest story for last night's verses. We have to one, appreciate and understand our history. We have to appreciate and love our legends. We gotta tell our own stories. We gotta love our legends and appreciate our legends. We gotta teach our children about where the music comes from. So then they can create something that's going to make it grow further down the line. And we need to do that without spending so much time in our egos about what we doing, about my era, and by why I'm better and why you ain't that. 
Last night was a mixture of perfection and what perfectly not to do. <laughs> you know what I'm This whole anti, this whole Asian hate thing is some bullshit. And we got the old generation pushing this shit. Setting our kids out again. Meg Thee Stallion donated $50,000. Look at Jeezy punk ass. I'm donating 50 grand because my wife. What about your people? What about your people that Jeezy has been getting killed on the streets all this time? Now all of a sudden you care? Can't be doing that. Somebody said, if you have a platform that allows only you to talk, how do we tell our stories? By creating your own fucking platform. That's how. God damn, it's simple. <laughs> I mean, that's nothing with black society. Something that we need to get rid of. I noticed this shit long before my platform even got started getting attention. I noticed that when I listen to like the black channel or other platforms that have big platforms or you, you go down to the church meeting, it's always somebody that wanted, the minute they see it, a bunch of black people gathered, they want to then get up and start speaking and take over the whole conversation. Can't just say what you got to say and get out. They want to go wherever somebody else grouped a bunch of other folks and then get on the podium and start talking all goddamn day. Stop that. Stop. If you want your own voice heard, create the platform to get it done. YouTube is free. I ain't nobody special. I created this channel back in 2011. And I would do one show, two shows. Nobody would listen. Then I wouldn't do a show for a year. Then I built the show up when I had sports and things over on Blog Talk. The person that did the show with me screwed me over, took my idea, and I started seeing shit that I was talking about on sports and things on ESPN and Fox Sports. You know what I did? I kept fucking pushing. And then I didn't do it for a while. Then I came back and I started talking again. But in the meantime, you never saw me go to anybody else's channel and spew why, and talk about what I thought, why I think I'm the best. I know I have some good ass ideas, but you never going to see me talk about that on somebody else's channel unless I'm invited. You ain't never heard me call in. I've been listening to Tariq's show since 2014. I've been listening to a lot of this stuff, Brother Raj, a lot of these shows for years. Not one time have I ever called in. Because when someone else has something to say, I'm listening. I'm all ears. It's not my time to talk. I shut up. Even on Craig Facts. That's Craig's show. I jump in and say what I got to say, then I sit down. And there have been times that I wanted to keep on the topic and get my piece in. But when my nigga Craig say on to the next topic, then God damn it, we on to the next topic. 
That ties into Steve Harvey. You got to know your role. You got to always know your role. If you want people to listen to you, then you go ahead and create it. And if what you're saying is interesting enough, people will listen to you. If nobody's listening to you, then you might need to rework what you're saying. I'm speaking from experience. I've had to go back into the shop and rework what I'm saying plenty of times. Go back and listen to some of the early episodes back when I called my show D, the D Brown Hour when I was at Accelerated Radio in the year 2019. That show was very different than what I'm doing right now. Wasn't nobody listening to that. I had to go back and rework it. Certain, some people were listening. Shouts out to T.R. Jones. Uh, um, David Benner. Not the rapper David Benner. Another brother David Benner. I got some day ones that was even Mike Robertson. I got some day ones that was listening back then. But when I go back and listen to my old shows, those, those shows weren't, weren't, they weren't worth a big following. They weren't good enough. I had to keep refining and keep refining and keep hitting this fucking rock. So by the time I got, by the time Craig Facts came around, I had already been in the in the tool shed refining myself. So when I got in front of a larger audience, I, I had a product worth listening to. So by the time I got invited on the 5150 and I got a lot of y'all new subscribers, salute to 5150, thank y'all. I had already been in the tool shed. I had, by the time I got invited on the 5150, I had already been a comedian for 10 years and I had already been working on my radio voice for nine. I would take long times off. I would quit, come back. But I was always working towards it. You want people to listen to you, then you create it. And you keep refining it until it becomes a product that people likes. And if they don't like it, that's fine. Keep refining it. And, and, and no matter how refined you get, whatever you do, there's still going to be people who don't like it. If I got a million subscribers tomorrow, there still be billions that don't know who the fuck I am. Going back to Earth and Fire. In your heart, lies the answers to the truth you can't run from. It may not be the answer for you to have a large thing. Because I'm going to tell you something. When I wasn't online doing this, I was up at work. I was in South Central LA with children saying these same messages. These stories I'm telling y'all about music I used to just have my sessions with my clients and when I was working mental health and instead of talking mental health that day, sometimes the mental health talk was just around music and I would get them into what I was into and I would listen to a little bit of what they were into. I didn't have a few thousand people listening to my words. I had one. When I would get around my nieces, I would tell them stories. Every adult, every person has someone that listens to you. 
if it's only two people, embrace that and give them the game. Embrace it and give them the game. One area that we've missed out on as black people is passing down the game. We got to end this criticism shit of the kids. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the choir a lot in here. I know I'm speaking to the choir. But become the, uh, the message multiplier. When you see your friends shitting on the kids, put them to the side like, hey, hey, man, look, I'm not about to sit here and have this long conversation with you talking about these kids like that, man. Just, just chill. Let's do something else. I know I'm speaking to the choir, but don't let that don't let that come into your environment. If the adults around you don't understand, then you be the one that show them. You know, you know your your homegirls kids listen to you. So sometimes you gotta be the one. You, hey man, look, let's let's talk. What are you what you into? Let me listen to what you like. Oh, that's dope. It be certain shit that these kids like. I ain't feeling it, but I'll find. There's always a part of a song that I like. I'll identify that part of the song that I liked. Oh man, that was a dope little bridge right there. Oh, that word right there, that was, that was cool little wordplay. Now, hey, now I don't heard three or four of your songs. Listen to this. It's some dope shit. And when you approach it like that, the kids want to listen. The kids will embrace it. They'll take time to hear what you have to say if you take time to get into their world and not shit on it. I'm just speaking as from... 25 years of experience as a child advocate, communication coach, consultant. EMJ asked, who am I? I'm the motherfucker you listening to. That's who I am. I won. somebody come in the chat room well who is you the nigga you took time out of your day to listen to and consider what I have to say how about that you don't see me on your channel listening to a damn thing you have to say hmm. you're right I'm not Steve Harvey but I'm the motherfucker that's in your head Back to what we talking about. <clears throat> Last night was a lesson. A lesson in music. A lesson in greatness. And a lesson in how to embrace the moment and not make the moment about you because when you make beautiful moments about you, can you honestly say you had a moment? Because moments are things that happen. Then you look back and you see what it is. You're right, William Jones. I said that on Twitter yesterday. I thought Sinbad should have hosted. But I know Sinbad had a stroke, so I'm not sure where how well he is. But hell yeah, if Sinbad hosted it, that would have been the shit. 
Because matter of fact, what really turned me on, on top of my dad, listening to the old the old music, was back in 90, 1995, Sinbad had his first summer jam. Y'all remember Sinbad Summer Jam that was on HBO? I remember he had Earth and Fire, Tina Marie, the Ohio Players, and like for three or four years in a row, Sinbad would play his Summer Jam on HBO. And I remember I was a teenager back then, and that was my first time being able to see how these people looked. I used to listen to them on 103.9 KACE here in LA on the old school station, and I would listen to them on my dad's tapes. But I didn't know how a lot of these people looked. So it was Sinbad when he created his summer jam. Is what was when that was the first time I was able to actually put a face to these legends. So I wanna always give a salute and a shout out to Sinbad. Oh man, I wish he could have hosted last night. Because he really was the person that put a face. Because we always forget with the internet now, it's so easy to put up somebody's face. You remember that world before the internet, you only heard the music and a lot of my dad's uh, album covers, he had, uh, they had gotten, uh, a lot of them had gotten stolen like when I was a kid. So I didn't, I didn't see a lot of those older, older album covers. But a lot of those album covers, he had albums he had put on tape. So I had to tape to a lot of that stuff, but not the album covers to see how anyone looked. So when um, Sinbad did his Summer Jam, because before Sinbad Summer Jam, I think I was like 14 when I came out. I used to think a woman sang Reasons. The reasons. The re I thought that was a woman. I was a kid. Oh, Mike Robinson in the house. Subscribe to Mike Robinson Boulevard. This motherfucker's a dope ass, especially when it comes to hip hop. You want to listen to Mike Robinson. That motherfucker got the information for your ass. Mike was there for the Up and Smoke tour, so he could tell you a lot of the stuff that went on behind the scenes scenes. Subscribe to my man, Mike Robinson Boulevard. But anyway, that's it. When I, when I saw, I was like, hold on. That's a man singing reasons? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I found that out on the Sinbad Summer Jam. Oh, that's a man. And then my dad was came in. He was like, yeah. And they also have another singer. The other lead singer is Maurice White. I wish there was more talk of Maurice White about uh, last night too and, and some of the things that he did for music. Maurice White ended up catching uh, MS, now Parkinson's. And so he stopped touring with the band in the early 90s. But Maurice White was a wizard, man. Earth and the Fire itself, man. Salute to Sinbad. Bug Shell said, when I saw Steve Harvey, I turned the channel. <laughs> but yeah, man, that's... We gotta be the solution. We we, we all... Everybody's not gonna have a big, big platform. You know what I mean? That's not everybody's role. But if everyone took on the responsibility of embracing and understanding our youth. Checking the adults who are off cold and shitting on our youth. That's that's what we need right there. You only, you only need a handful of people with big microphones talking. The only person, the only reason why you need, on the only role of a person with a microphone talking 
is to send a message for everyone else to do. The military only got a few generals. Everyone else, and the general is a soldier, but the generals need the soldiers to be soldiers. And when you're the, if you if you're the kind of person that's in the information, if the information vibrates with you, and makes and it makes sense to you, then go along with the information and spread it. If you need help on how to communicate that, on how to communicate information to people. I'm actually going to do a webinar on that uh, coming up. I think I'm going to make that webinar for either June or July. A webinar on communicating to youth. Because, that's again, that's my my expertise. Get my webinar coming up. No time to waste. On my new book coming out. You sign up for the webinar. You get the book for free. We are going to have this because, again, a lot of times as black folks, it's it's tough because we've been we've been marginalized so much. We kind of forgot the power that we have. And we sometimes tend to give up our power and sometimes feel hopeless and go to these jobs that we don't necessarily like. Because we forget that we can make it in this life through our hearts, dreams, and desires. We can do that. But we forget that. We forget that. So that's what my my class uh, is about. It's about reminding you that you can live a life where you do the things that you love And not have any issues. We just have to always remember. That we can do it. And sometimes the hardest thing is really. Sometimes the hardest thing is. Getting off of our butt and actually doing it. So my, my workshop. Is about. That. It's my own steps I've taken. To get off my ass and get what I need to get done is limited capacity. So please, I need you to sign up for it. I already have a, quite a few signups so far. I I had some people sign up for this shit the day that it got released. Y'all see the book? It's coming out. It's coming out. It's coming out. So go to my description box down there below and sign up for the workshop. Benjamin said, never trust a man who wears a high top wig. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's good information. I, I, I roll with that. I roll with that.
Someone said, let's be clear, we have to choose less between two evils. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's uh, someone coming in late talking about Biden and Trump. Biden was not the lesser of two evils. Biden was not the lesser of two evils. His track record, as far as the legislation that he's championed, proved that. And what he's doing right now in office is even more criminal. Yeah, it's, it's always funny when I see people. Let me see who else we got in. We got somebody in there. If you see someone trolling, yeah, time them out. Time out the trolls. Time out the trolls. So I'm going to open this shit up. What y'all want to talk about? I'm not going to be here too much longer. What y'all talking about here in the chat room? I've been, for the most part, not paying attention to it. I've been kind of going, spending 95% of my time not looking at the chat room. Now I'm looking at the chat room. What are y'all talking about up in here? What are y'all talking about in the chat room? Any questions? Anything you want me to go deeper on or expound on or revisit from what I said earlier? You're out of my... Biden got the presidency because so many fell for the lesser of two uh, evil narrative. You're right. That was just a narrative. Because at the end of the day, the president's... What a president signs into law is their only impact. It only impact. What they tweet is just a tweet. Trump was lazy than a motherfucker. He wasn't signing hardly shit into law. Trump was too busy playing golf, tweeting, and lying to motherfuckers to be signing laws. Now you got Biden up in office. You don't hardly ever see him. And when you do see him, he tripping downstairs. But he up in that legislation signing all kind of stuff for Asians, immigrants, LGBTQ, trans. Biden busy than the motherfucker signing stuff. But they ain't signed a damn thing for us. Ain't signed a damn thing for us. <laughs> Kenneth Barry says, Steve Harvey can't speak for black youth. Can't speak to black without his, how his daughter's all up in the game. Good point. Yeah, prayers for DMX, man. Prayers for DMX. DMX owned the late 90s. And people, a lot, a lot of people like to revise history now and talk about how great, oh, Jay-Z was always great. Look, Jay-Z got great. Jay-Z's run started when all of the, when all of the, the real niggas was off the scene. I told y'all the music industry stopped renewing contracts. Jay-Z was around back in the early 90s when Biggie, when X-Clan was around, DMX. When all these people were around. He was around then, too. But his music was not cutting through. Jay-Z did not stop cutting through until what happened with DMX and DMX stopped releasing music for that for a while. When a lot of those people who were hot in the early 90s didn't get their record contracts renewed, when Tupac and Biggie got killed, that's when Jay-Z started to cut through and get on top. But when DMX was on his run, man, wasn't nobody worried about no goddamn Jay-Z when DMX was on top. Get better, DMX. And this is still the DMX. Jay-Z's a dope-ass rapper. He's great, and he had his run. His run was good, too. I just am not a fan of people revising history to make it seem like Jay-Z was always on top during that time. No, 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 no. 
When you tell a story that way, you are totally disrespect DMX. You totally disrespect DMX when you do that. Never disrespect DMX. Never. Twenty said, "What's my thoughts on Professor Black Truth's essay on weed and drugs?" Eh, to each his own. I still love Professor Black Truth. I don't agree with him because part of the reason he was talking about you never seen a world leader or people who control the world on drugs. Ain't nobody doped out more than white people. They're the biggest drug addicts on earth, but they still run the planet. So, you know, hey. He talked about nowhere. If you know the history of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR was a heroin addict. That motherfucker was a junkie. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a junkie. He still signed the New Deal. He still navigated America through World War II. Being a junkie. And I'm not, I'm not for those lab drugs. I don't do lab drugs. I don't do that. But as far as I shit like weed and mushrooms, I wish more. Look. Everybody, look. On top of that, everybody can't function. You got to know yourself. That's why it's go, it always goes back to knowing yourself. Everybody can't function on weed and drugs. So if you're the kind of person that you can't function, if you can't do two things at once, then no, you shouldn't do drugs at all. You shouldn't. But if you're a little more complex and you know you got a few more levels to you and you can do both, then shit, why not? I didn't always smoke weed. I didn't smoke weed at all in my teens and very little in my 20s. I got turned on the weed playing the drums for a band back in my early 20s and even back then, I wouldn't smoke that much. But I remember I used to always be very anxious. I had, very, I had anxiety problems and back then, too. And I also, my dyslexia was really bad. See, I, I have a personal story when it comes to weed. I remember when I was in college, I graduated college on memory. My dyslexia was really bad. I didn't read too many books in college. Matter of fact, I didn't even buy the books in college. I would only buy my math book and, like, certain books. Everything else would just go off memory from lectures because my dyslexia was so bad. I could only read a page, page and a half. And then I, I had learned speed reading. But when I was in college, I totally I wasn't really using it. I was still trying to traditional read and traditional reading would take me two hours to read a page and a half because I would get stuck at a period. And, and the words would start like, the words on the page would start crip walking on me. <laughs> so when I started smoking weed a little more heavy, it was 2011 when I had my second knee surgery. I didn't want to take none of those pain pills um, that they gave me. So I would, I would smoke weed as a pain pill. And then I noticed when I was smoked, the dyslexia didn't bother me as much. The words stopped crip walking on the page. And I went from when I was in college, I was like, I wish I smoked weed in college. Because when I went from, you know, reading one page in two hours because of dyslexia to 
when I would smoke a joint, the dyslexia didn't bother me. So I can start reading a lot. And then my speed reading got better. So when I look at who I was before I started smoking weed and the person after, it's big, a, lot, a lot different, a lot better. Because I didn't know that the weed, for me, for me, like I'm not a doctor, I'm not telling other people what to do. But for me, the weed stopped my dyslexia. The person you see right now reading fucking six books in a week, I wasn't doing that shit before I started smoking weed. If I try to pick up a book without reading or smoking a joint first, dyslexia gonna be there like a motherfucker, like, hey, big head. So when I smoked that weed, that dyslexia, them words stopped jumping around and they sit on the page long enough for me to read them. But I also heard what Professor Black's truth is saying because there are people out there who do drugs and they do them excessively and they do drugs to escape the reality. If you're doing drugs to escape your reality, then, you know, you might want to seek some counseling. You know, we had our hypnotist on a couple weeks ago. You might want to hit up Kendall. She can help you with that. If you're using drug as an escapism to get away from life and to disconnect from life, then you may then you have some deeper issues that you want to address that the drugs are getting in the way and suppressing. But if you're a person like me, shit, if I eat a mushroom, I go into a mushroom trip with questions and I speak to myself and I get answers every goddamn time I'm on them trips. Help me grow as a person. But like anything else, what do you use it for? Water could either, could either flood your house and destroy all your furniture or you can drink it and give you life. Fire can destroy, burn your house down. It also can heat your house up. Words can tear you down. Words can also build you up. A car can kill you. It also can get you to Vegas in four hours from L.A. It's all tools. It all comes down to what you use it for. You have to be wise. There's no blanket yes or no's. And I'm not going to sit here and act like I know. Because when I heard Brother Truth, and I like, again, I listened to the full broadcast and I gave it a thumbs up. But I was like, well, he seems to be one of them brothers that can't do two things at once. And that's fine. And that's fine. To each his own. See here. What else y'all talking about? You're right, K Grin. Little weed ain't gonna hurt nobody. Shit. Matter of fact, when I'm done with this broadcast, guess where I'm going? I'm going to my man cave and I am lighting up a joint. But my secret said, I love, we love PBT, but he's an L7. Yeah, he, PBT a little stiff. You can't have any fun. You have to defeat white supremacy. Look, nigga. Even when I play, anytime I, I know how to have fun and win at the same time. Trust me. Matter of fact, you better make winning fun. That's what white supremacy does. Everything that they do with us is a game. They make their, they make their system that they enforce on us every minute of every day fun. The clan started out as just a bunch of white boys in, in ghost outfits scaring and scaring the Negroes until one of them got killed 
until they killed one, then it became something else. And it's still fun to them. Jim Crow started out as a motherfucking play. It was fun. Then it became a bunch of laws. You better have fun in your system. You better create a system and have enjoy. Because I'm thinking something about we're all humans. All humans have the need for pleasure. All humans. Ain't nobody walking around with no need for pleasure. If, if, you, if you don't need pleasure, then I, you're probably not a fucking human. So you better make the things that you use to win in life. You better make it fun. Again, and that's what my book, No Time to Waste, is about. My self-motivation guidebook. I help people find the things within them that they love to do. And when you find the things in you that you love to do and find ways to make money doing the things that you love to do, you no longer have a job. You have a lifestyle that puts money in your bank account. You better turn your lifestyle into something that makes money for you. Don't run around feeling guilty about it. Flip it into some bread. But at the same time, if you don't know how, if if mushrooms and weed is too much for you and you can't balance both, then sit it down. If you can't win and have fun, the winning takes priority. Whatever it takes for you to win. If every time you pick up a joint, you get slothful and lazy and you can't do anything, then sit the weed down. But if you can smoke a joint, then get about the business of being the best person that you can be. Light up then, nigga. Light up. You know, what I told you, don't let it be a weapon. Because one thing, I tell you one thing about weed. I don't really buy a lot of that prepackaged stuff. Because I know the, the way the government is making weed as accessible as it is now. You know they got a trick up their sleeve with it somehow. Me personally, I still, you know, grow. I know the people who grow my weed. <laughs> and they're licensed. I'm in California. This shit legal than the motherfucker. They're licensed, all that stuff. None of that under the, I don't do under the hand nothing. But I know the cats that grow it. I know they're not putting any of these, any extra additives and shit. When I see stuff from like these huge weed farms, I don't really smoke that. Because <clears throat> I just kind of assume that, okay, that's probably some government operation. They probably got some shit up in that. I still support my local farmers is what I'm saying. When it comes to the Dodie Wody. Yeah. Hey, that's a beautiful that's a beautiful way you put it, uh, Beaumont Sinclair. See, I love my listeners. and I, Sometimes I spend a little bit too much time on the weirdos. 99.90 of y'all some real motherfuckers that listen to me. Beaumont Sinclair said, more black people need to mess with entheogens like shrooms and DMT. A lot of these motherfuckers out here need to experience an ego death. Real talk. That's real talk. Mushrooms will kill the ego and put the ego in check. Because when you get on them shrooms, 
you get in in contact with who you really are, your highest self. You get to see the ego for the little pompous little pompous jackass that's that is that takes you off your mission. Shrooms really it's some messages in the mushrooms, but again, if you do it right, if you do it responsible, responsibly. I talk to my mushrooms before I eat them. Show me. Reveal to me what needs to be revealed inside of me, through me. And every time it does, man, some of the dope shit that I can't, man, I can't tell you some of the dope shit that I flipped into some major bread or some shrooms. And I ain't addicted. I don't know anybody who is addicted. If I, I can go months and Sundays without ever touching a mushroom. But when it's time to touch them, it is a joyful experience. My brother, my sister. Again, you have to know yourself. If it's too much and you, because I'll tell you right now, if you don't want to see yourself, if you got anger, fear, hurt in your heart, and you don't want to deal with it, then you'll probably have a bad mushroom trip. Because a mushroom is going to show you the truth. And if you're one of the people who don't want to know the truth, then I encourage you not, don't, don't touch a mushroom. Because then you'll probably have, then you'll be having some issues. You'll have a bad trip because you don't want to face it. But if you're about growth and you don't mind facing yourself, oh, it's going to be beautiful. A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful experience. I was able to really get in some control of my ego through mushrooms. Because my ego sometimes be fucking with me, boy. It's telling me the wrong messages and I'm listening. Yeah. Weed and shrooms. That is the combination for me. <laughs> we said we shrooms will force that ass to look in the mirror. You damn right. And if you don't like what you see and you don't want to and you're unwilling to deal with it, then you might have a bad trip. But if you are willing to see what it is and you're open about it and you embrace it, and you embrace the growth. You will have so much fun. I don't I don't know about it. I'm not trying like acid, LSD and stuff. I, to each his own. Like I said, if you want to do that, it's fine. I, I'm, I, I kind of stay away from the stuff that was put into a lab. I kind of stay away from anything that had to get processed through a lab. That's also why I don't, I don't do like weed vape pens. I don't do I don't, I don't do wax. I don't do that stuff because I don't, you know, it was refined and processed. And I don't trust these white supremacists that refined and processed shit. I want something that grew out the ground that, that Mother Earth gave me. I'll use that. But that's my, that's my limit. I'm not here to judge those who have further limits. Hell, the acid gave us half a part of it Funkadelic's hits. Shit. Hell, we wouldn't have had flashlight if George Clinton and Bootsy Collins weren't on acid. Flashlight, shit, neon light, ooh, stop light. Now I lay me down to sleep. All them niggas was tripping on acid when that came out. So I'm not here to judge it. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. Make sure that you do 
what is true to you. Know yourself. Know yourself. Know yourself. Know yourself. That's right, Mike. The true self sets you free. But yeah, like and subscribe. Sign up for my class, No Time to Waste, a self-motivation. The Eventbrite link I'm going to put into the description box. Or you can just go to Eventbrite and Google No Time to Waste. You'll see my book cover up there. It's only $29. $29.99. That includes the book, the self-motivation guidebook. $30 is very, very, very little to spend when in return you're going to be getting the things you're going to be getting information that's going to help you become the best you you can be. $30 ain't shit when you're going to be getting information that you're going to flip into your pockets. So sign up for that. He said, Omar oh said, I do feel these hyped up weeds are probably attacking our reproductive systems. Probably. <laughs> Mesothelium, baby. Yeah, I ain't fucking with them vapes, man. I'm not. And like I said, I only fuck with the weed that I know the person that grew it. When I see these, like I said, when I see these jars and these major brands and they all over the place. No, that's probably government operated weed with some bullshit in it. I don't want it. All right. Yeah, so. But I'm about to get up out of here. I thank y'all for listening. Like and share this. Like and share. Subscribe to the channel. Where y'all get that real talk, instance and ashtrays, and subscribe to the Spotify because the playlists and the music DJ breakdowns are coming soon. My name is Dewan B. There are no perfect messengers, only perfect messages for those who are willing to pick up game. We out.